What a beautiful day to be alive. Welcome to the You Can Do It Too podcast. Yes, you can do it too. My primary mission in this podcast is to empower minority youths and young professionals around the globe to imagine beyond any limits and strive to be their best self. Who am I? I am many things. I am a son, a brother, a husband, a friend. I'm an engineer. I'm a medical student at the University of Texas at Austin Dell Medical School, Hooken. Well, if you ask me to be specific, I'm a problem solver. I'm a critical thinker. I would love to see you reach your full potential. Yes, you. You have what it takes. I'm rooting for you. Thank you so much for the time and uh, for for joining the podcast. So let's start from the beginning. Like, where were you born? Where were you born and where did you grow up? Sure. First of all, thank you for inviting me to this podcast. Um, you're, you're doing amazing work and I love the premise of everything. Um, thank you. So thank you. Um, so I was originally born in Orlando, Florida. Um, I grew up there. I spent pretty much my whole life there before I went to undergrad. That's amazing. So, okay, so... Was it? Did you grow up in a big family or uh, just a single no, family? It was a small family, um, but I mean, we we always had like family reunions and stuff. So I knew like all of my cousins and my second and third cousins. Um, but um, so I have one younger sister. She's uh, currently doing her MD PhD at Albert Einstein. Um, uh, but um, that's my only sibling. Um, we're two and a half years apart. And um, both of our parents are actually engineers. Um, and they sort of wanted, or my mom at least wanted one of us to be an engineer, but neither of us wanted to really. <laughs> um, so I think that's where I sort of got my love for science and like learning from my, um, they both went to, to Georgia Tech and my dad went to Morehouse also. He was a dual degree. He did Oh wow. um, so he's uh they're both sort of they work with like space stuff like my dad worked on the space station and the space shuttle um he worked at boeing but he was at nasa when i was growing up and then my mom worked on like night vision stuff and missiles with um, a competing company um so oh, that wow. was fun <laughs> talk about pressure <laughs> <laughs> they didn't actually put a lot of pressure on us um I put more pressure on myself than they did. Um, but yeah, I grew up in Orlando. Um, I've always, um, I've been around like people who were like minorities who were high achieving um, growing up. So like my pediatrician was a black female and I really looked up to her. She went to Howard. Um, and then my best friend growing up, which was my pediatrician's niece, <laughs> um, her family was, um, like, um, like her father went to Morehouse and like a lot of my friends, family members went to like HBCUs. So I got to see a lot of high achieving um, black families. And I think that's what really inspired me to um, continue to be high achieving growing up. I was gonna ask where, where did the medicine come from? Uh, one thing that I've been talking about in this podcast definitely is the fact that uh success require imagination 
and imagination require exposure if you cannot if you are not exposed to different things you cannot imagine being in that scenario so so you feel like you had a lot of exposure growing up that kind of allows you to imagine uh and, and be who you are today yes i definitely had a lot of exposure growing up um like I said, so my pediatrician, she, um, she was a black female. She went to Howard. My, I was in Girl Scouts growing up and like the Girl Scout leader was a very successful black woman. Um, her husband was like the superintendent of the schools. Um, my dad's best friends, like they were like endowed people at Morehouse. So I, I grew up like seeing a lot of high achieving um, black people so Mm -hmm. that really inspired me and I think it's really important like even once you like get to like med school and even undergrad to like give back and show the community that they can achieve um achieve great things in their lives also when I was an undergrad um I like started this program um I was a math and chemistry double major it was as close as I would get to chemical engineering. <laughs> I know. I, I saw the math, like math leadership. I'm like, wow. How- yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in undergrad, like I really wanted to like give back and like help in the community. So I started this program um, with the um, middle school on campus um, to mentor um, young black um students in order to like show them like hey this is what you can aspire to be so um i had like i was like the president of like the math club and stuff and we would go over to the middle school um several times throughout the year and tutor the students and try to mentor them um so i think it's really important once you like get to like a level of higher education to just um, give back to the community and to really help um, propel the the next generation. Definitely, you talked about uh, that the the idea of not being pressured by your parents growing up, and you felt like you you put pressure on yourself, and I feel like that came from the way uh, people are brought up, right? Some people feel like they have enough motivation or purpose that keep them pushing toward uh, creating their own life. And some people don't have that motivation. What 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 part of your parents' teaching you feel like empowered you to come up with that type of motivation? Um, I think it was just like you said, exposure, like seeing them working hard every day. Both of my parents worked, um, and um, I just always wanted to outdo them. I, I think that that was just natural for me. Um, I know some people require like external um, things, like other people pushing them, but um, I didn't really have or need that. Um, well, usually, usually people talk about the fact that uh, when your parents have like are successful, right? People right. kind of get lazier, and when your parents <laughs> don't have much, you go harder. Which I exactly. don't agree. Which I don't agree. Like, where do you feel like, I, I feel like there's a level of uh, something that your parents have to instill in you to really believe that no matter how much they have, you also have to go and build your own life, right? Right. You just can't be like complacent 
with what like what your parents have um or or like even like what your parents don't have and, and see that as a deterrent you have to like sort of like build it up within and really want to do that and i think yeah. you have to find something that makes you excited to do it um because i mean the medical field is difficult it's a very long road um if you don't really love it on some level then you're not going to be fulfilled and you're not going to be happy doing it. It would be very easy to quit. So I think the main thing is you have to find something that you really think would motivate you to wake up every day and say like, I'm going out to like do this. And this is like my, I guess, purpose. Um, so um, I guess early on, I would suggest anyone listening to definitely um, explore different careers um, early on, shadow people. Um, you'd be surprised how many people are open to just like talking to you or mentoring you and helping you see like what a career in like any areas like architecture, um, a lawyer, a doctor, a chef, whatever you're interested in, but just try to get your own exposure because it's not always going to be given to you. Like I, I didn't get to easily like see um, doctors or shadow doctors growing up. I had to like go out on my own, volunteer. Um, I had to try to meet different people in order to shadow people. It wasn't just handed to me, so. Definitely. It's definitely a two-way thing. You have to go out there as as much as things need to be brought to you, but it's a two-way thing. So you would say that you 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 knew that you were gonna go into medicine from when you were younger, early on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm sort of weird. Um, so like when I was like one of some of my earliest memories were like going to the doctor's office and just being fascinated by everything. I remember I would like watch them give me the shots and I'd be like, "Ooh, what's going on?" So like I was genuinely intrigued by <laughs> by science and um, I sort of knew I guess uh, I feel like several surgeons have told me that they knew that they wanted to be a surgeon early in life too I don't know if it's a surgeon thing or what but um, I, I pretty much knew that I wanted to be um, a doctor and specifically a surgeon early on like I liked working with my hands um, growing up like my mom was really big in sewing, crocheting, cross-stitching, anything, cooking from scratch. So I, I used my hands a lot to like mm -hmm. make things. And um, I loved science and I felt like surgery is like the combination of all of those things. And it's sort of like engineering the human body. So it was just like all of those things wrapped in one. So that's what I really loved about about the idea of it and then once I actually got to do it I loved it even more so <laughs> <laughs> that's Here. amazing did you did you play any sports in high school or before yeah college? I, I did a lot of things in high school um so I played sports I played in several teams I was on like um AAU teams we won nationals oh I was wow you were you were committed <laughs> yeah I could have played an undergrad. Um, there were a few D1 schools that wanted me to play. I'm six foot two, but I didn't want to play um, mm -hmm. sports. Plus I had an academic scholarship going into to undergrad. So mm -hmm. um, 
I, I decided not to to play any sports. There are plenty of people who do it. A lot of my friends did it. A few of them played professionally and even in the WNBA, but it just wasn't the life that I wanted. That's cool. I I, I can't imagine that. I want to ask you, how did you choose Howard? But I can't imagine uh, with how you grew up. That was like, uh, it's definitely a big, a big raider. Like, how did you come up, uh, finalize that decision? So coming from Florida, so my, my mom wanted me to stay closer. Um, and I wanted to like go to like a larger city. Um, I actually applied sort of broadly, like I applied to like some of the state schools um, and I applied to Georgia Tech and Harvard and um, and like Spelman and stuff. But um, I actually, um, I was deciding between Harvard and Howard, but um, I was waitlisted for Harvard and Howard gave me like a, a full ride and they were like sort of paying me because I, I was on this research track with um, this program called Howard Hughes Medical Institute, which is mm. um, known like worldwide. They have it at all colleges, not just Howard. Um, so I got involved with that and I thought it was a great start to my, um, my future career potentially. And like, um, I thought that it would be great to be around other like-minded individuals who are minorities who are doing great for themselves. And I still have lifelong friends from Howard. Like I came to DC and I just went out to dinner with one of them yesterday and another one a few nights ago. Um, and when I was in Atlanta, I saw one of my um, friends from Howard who just bought a house there. So, I mean, you can go anywhere and you, you'll still have um, someone who you're really close with um who you experienced Howard with so I wouldn't have traded it for anything even people like some of my friends who went to other schools in undergrad um they were like how was it Howard I wish I had gotten I was like yeah you should have it was amazing <laughs> <laughs> that's cool uh, I so I definitely can imagine that growing up uh, with your family and everybody around you, you had some sense of empowerment. You're definitely, there was a lot of, uh, they instilled in you the idea of uh, your identity, right? Knowing who you are as a black person. Uh, Howard has definitely, is definitely one of the school that also has pride, right? And uh, they, it's known to a lot of people, a lot of famous people, but also people who have done amazing things have gone right. to Howard in the Black community. How did Howard empower you to really uh, solidify your identity and knowing who you are? Well, so growing up, I was at majority white schools. Um, my um, high school was around 4,000 people, so around 1,000 people per class. And wow. I always like the only black female in my classes there may have been like one other like black male um in some of my classes um i was um i was in like the advanced tracks so i took like all the ap classes and i was valedictorian and stuff but i was pretty isolated i would say as far as schooling goes but mm -hmm. in in my community like for church and Girl Scouts and like those friend groups, those were majority black. And then going to Howard, I got to experience all of that 
and being like in school with those sorts of people. So it was a great experience. Um, it definitely solidified uh, me understanding my culture more and um, being proud of being black um, more than I would have if, if I went to like um, a, uh, another school. BWI, yeah. So, yeah, so I, I definitely think like the teachers, like even the teachers at Howard, like they're minorities. So mm -hmm. you don't think that, that like growing up, like all of my teachers were white. Maybe a few of them were like Spanish, um, but for the most part, they were white, which was great. I loved my teachers in high school and middle school and everything, but it's great to see other people who look like you it's really important in informing like who you are as a person especially in your early adult life and being secure with who you are and I don't think that it necessarily like puts you back like I'm I was at um MedStar um Georgetown Washington Hospital Center for my general surgery residency mm. which um is diverse but I don't think that um I was at a disadvantage by being at an HBCU and then going somewhere else. I didn't feel like a fish out of water. I, it, I, it doesn't, um, it didn't really make it difficult for me to switch. Now I'm at Stanford, which is completely different. Um, <laughs> right there, it's amazing, but culturally it's completely different. And I don't feel like there's any difference. I think if anything, um, being at Howard prepared me to be confident in myself and in what I do, not overly confident, but um, just able to be comfortable and confident in all sorts of environments. That's, that's what I was going to say. I feel like once you really do the work to find who you are and know your identity, then you can't fit in in any, any way you go. Because at the end of the day, what, what other people do really, if you know who you are, won't affect you. Right. And Howard also has like great classes that teach you all about African-American history, things that you never learned and you should have <laughs> in your primary school. <laughs> yes. That's also something that's invaluable. Yeah. So you came into Howard as an undergrad uh, with this dream of uh, you have this career in mind, you want to be a surgeon. And uh, no matter where you go, undergrad, especially as a pre-med, is pretty hard. It's difficult. Was there any time you really felt like, man, is this really what I want to do? This is too hard. Like, do I have yeah. what it takes to get there? And there were a few times. That, um, so in undergrad, um, definitely when I was, like, studying for the MCAT and, like, preparing all of that, um, that was a trying time. I think, didn't they change, they changed the scoring, but your scores still matter. So yeah. that, that was definitely difficult. I took the MCAT like two or three times, um, but it ended up working out. I actually got a partial scholarship um, to stay at Howard. So I stayed there because they were paying for part of it. Um, and then when I was applying <clears throat> for um, for residency, that was also definitely a difficult time. And mm -hmm. I guess times in medical school, like going from being like the top of your class, because I had a 4.0 throughout all of undergrad also. So going from 
doing that to um, being like, not like the top 10% of my class was sort of difficult for me <laughs> in uh, medical school. Mm -hmm. So was it, all, was it all black student too? It was, yeah, so Howard Medical School is a lot of black students. They have a, a lot of other students, like there are like Middle Eastern, Asian, white students. Um, so it's a mixture, um, but it's definitely more black students than any other place that you would go for medical school. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So you, you did your four years of medical school there. And mm -hmm. uh, I mean, many people, some people, tell themselves when they go to medical school, they try to choose a school that's going to set them up for the biggest residency. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing that I realized, medical school is like high school. Uh, it really doesn't matter about the school that you go to as long as you try to work hard and uh, build a, an amazing resume, you should be fine. Like, what do you say about all of that? I'd say... Well, being on both sides of things, like being at like Stanford and Georgetown and like um, being involved in interviewing medical students, um, I've seen both sides of it. And it's still, there are still certain barriers that you may have to overcome depending on your background, honestly. Um, there, there are some places where they won't take any any um, students who are at like a DO school. Mm -hmm. um, and there are some places who, um, who, I mean, that's the main thing I would say. And, but there are some places who still look at like where exactly you went to school for, for med school. And um, the bar is a little bit higher if you went to a certain med school. And Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Did you for the most part, I think that places are changing and looking more at the content um, that the applicants have, um, like their grades, how much research they're done. They still look at your scores. Um, and that's still a big um, determining factor on like whether or not they'll even look at the rest of your application. Amazing. So you went to Georgetown for residency, right? And surgery. Yeah. General Talk about your experience. You say what? General surgery, yeah. General, general surgery. Talk about that experience a bit. I mean, residency is, uh, I, I feel like, the biggest uh, milestone to be a physician. It's, it's the hardest part of, of becoming a physician, but it's also uh, the part that you really get to do what you're going to get to do for the rest of your life. It's your training part. Uh, right. What was the biggest highlight uh, in that journey? It's sort of hard to mark the largest highlight. For, <laughs> you don't remember most of it. <laughs> for all six years. <laughs> I guess, I mean, it's a long journey. So general surgery is five to seven years for residency. And um, it's it's just like each year is building on the year before um honestly the biggest highlight would probably be finishing um mm -hmm. it's not a period scheme anymore but not everyone finishes um and this is for most institutions um whether it's like people decide to go on a different route and not do surgery anymore or um they they just don't make it through 
Um, but each year you get more independence, you get to do more, um, I guess, um, some of the biggest highlights are like being able to operate on your own, the attending, mm -hmm. like being like, okay, let me know when you're done, um, sort of thing. That doesn't happen um, a lot of places, um, especially mm -hmm. academic places, they sort of hold your hand. Um, but when you're like at like the county hospitals and things like that, uh, you get a lot more independence, which I think is really important for you to um, be confident as a surgeon and to think through things. So mm -hmm. that would be like the most, um, my, my highlight of, of all of it is just being able to feel like I'm competent and that I can um, perform any operation that's thrown at me. Mm -hmm. um, like you, uh, I, I love the surgery since I was little and on the sick, <laughs> six, seven, I, I, I mean, I love using my hands and I feel like that's definitely what I want to do. But there's also a level of fear also in my heart a little bit. Uh, the idea of being in in front of the surgery in the surgery room right and uh, starting messing with the tools and realizing that I'm really not that good and uh, you know because if it's something that you think about from when you are five right so you would imagine like when you get there it's, you should just be better than most people right I know that's not a mindset like what, did you feel that when you started practicing there's, yeah, there's always that pressure that you have to be the best. Um, I think that's natural, but in order to do that, it does require some practicing. Like you don't, you don't go into the operating room automatically knowing how to throw a stitch or how to throw a knot. Like you have to practice that. Someone has to teach you that. Um, you should, I mean, as a surgeon, you should um, practice that, especially early on. <laughs> you mm -hmm. should know how to throw a knot with your eyes closed. Um, but, um, but yeah, there, there is that, that pressure, but I would say to anyone, just all you can do is practice and do your best that you can each day. Mm -hmm. That's all you can do. Yeah. So the culture residency has been changing over the past few years. I mean, in the 1950s, 60s, 70s <laughs> or eighties, nineties, the culture is that you come in, right? I mean, we went through this. And you're going to have to go through what you went through. It's going to be hard for you. And that's what's going to make you good. But now there has been a lot of research that came out that says, I mean, you don't have to go through all of that to be a great surgeon, right? We can still have a healthy culture and all of that. Uh, how, how has that been changed uh, just from your point of view? And what's your thoughts? Um, so... Yeah, so historically, it was completely malignant. That's why it's called residency. People lived in the hospital. Now, um, it's still residency. Um, I guess historically, it was a shorter time period, though. Like, people used to um, become surgeons in, like, four years, general mm -hmm. surgery. Uh, rarely, like, three years, just because, like, if you got all of everything done, within that time period, then they graduated you. And historically it was a period scheme. So you would go into surgery and not everyone would finish. Mm. Um, I think some places actually still sort of have that. It's not legal, but you should definitely look into that when you're um, 
applying and make sure that there's nothing like that going on. Mm-hmm. But um, but now it's there's a lot of emphasis on work-life balance. Um, in my residency and in my fellowship at Stanford, um, a lot of the residents have children while they are in residency, which is something that used to be unheard of if you were a female. Like, um, but now people have embraced it. They make sure that you have adequate time off for when mm-hmm. you're pregnant for the most part. Um, so there's been a lot of change there. They care about your work hours. They try to make sure that you, or they make sure that you don't go over 80 hours a week. Uh, historically, it used to be 120 hours a week. Um, wow. I've had, my, I've had residents like tell me that they need to leave to pick up their children, um, which I'm, depending on where you're, you're um, training, um, some people will still look at you sideways and tell you that you are a surgery resident and um, you need to figure out your personal issues on your own time. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, I just told them, okay, do what you need to do, <laughs> pick up your children. Um, but um, I think what's important to the um, rising surgery residents and all residents is to realize that um, your time in residency is valuable and you should utilize it to actually learn and not to think about like, oh, like I need to leave early, like every single day or this day or that day. Like you should really try to learn as much as you can because that's what's going to make you a good doctor. Um, Mm -hmm. Not leaving early to go to brunch or something. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. I definitely my share of brunches though in residency but you have to like figure out how to balance your time appropriately yeah so you just finished your fellowship uh in stanford uh, i mean one of the best school i mean teaching hospitals in the world in general um do you feel like that okay going back what kind of work do you have to do on a daily basis to make sure that uh, you you have a seat at these big tables? <laughs> um, so you have to, even while you're in residency, you need to make sure that you are, um, that, that the attendings can trust you and um, that you are reliable and responsible because mm-hmm. at the end, the day you need really strong letters of recommendation from these people um, to apply to these fellowships. Um, I I went on um, I I went on interviews a lot of places, um, and they always commented on like my letters of recommendation and saying that I haven't seen like stronger letters of recommendation. So you really have to build a good relationship with the attendings that you're working with throughout your residency. The other thing that's really important um, in um, all fields is research. If, if you're looking into fellowships, they really wanna see that you are still doing research um, and that you're able to see that research through with publications if you can. Mm-hmm. So those are the, the main two things. And um, like your in-service exams, they care about those two, but they care, it seems like they care more about the others. That's amazing. I, so I right 
one thing one thing about uh medical school is that there's a lot of research out there i mean there's a lot of data out there that talks about how uh little the the amount of uh black people are in medical school in general right and also in i mean just minority students uh we are we are the fewer we are the minority and uh i mean now that i'm in medical school i've definitely talked to a few friends uh who've been struggling as uh, in the first year in terms of like just uh being in that situation and some people telling me like can i really do this for the rest of my life you know and uh it is crazy to me because and one thing that i always in this conversation right one thing that i try to communicate in terms of like i mean the issues are different sometimes it's about i want to get i want to get in this like group of friends or like i want to be in these spaces where i don't feel like i want i'm wanted and one thing that i talk about is that number one you have to do the work to know who you are and number two there are some fights that can be fought but you don't need to fight them you need to save your energy to fight for some other bigger fights right That's in terms of being in terms of getting into rooms that you are not wanted if that's nothing that's won't bring you anything maybe you should stay away from those rooms there are some rooms that's going to try to keep you away but you need to get in them and you have to fight as hard as you can to really get in there and uh, talk about your experience in terms of having to to really fight through your journey of residency fellowship to get into rooms that you feel like you are not wanted Yeah, that's a great question. And I think as um minority students and professionals, we definitely face that a lot of implicit bias and um every day. Um so I guess there were a lot of rooms that I had to fight to get into. Um just to get into uh residency, I had to to definitely um fight for that I had to prove myself with the attendings that I worked with um and then once in residency there's definitely you can feel like um the the tension sometimes whenever you're with certain people um nurses um patients whoever like you walk into a room and you introduce yourself as doctor and the patient says where is the doctor and it's like you just told them that you were the doctor <laughs> or you're in the operating room and you ask the the circulator or the scrub tech for something and then they don't give it to you um or mm-hmm. you're in the operating room with an attending and like if you um are answering their questions correctly and they insist that you're saying the wrong thing Um so there's definitely um there it's definitely an uphill battle in some areas but you just have to you have to know yourself you have to really um it it just has to push you and it you can't let things like that break you down um i think at the end of the day most people are doing things not to be mean some of them are to be mean but not necessarily to be mean but to help you learn everyone mm-hmm. has a different teaching style and you may not um vibe with every single teaching style that you run across but there is something to be learned in every situation 
Um, I had like a, a round table sort of thing or a discussion with some medical students that were visiting Stanford earlier this summer. And I think I, I told one of them because he was really having a hard time like um, adjusting to like certain ways that that people can talk to you, especially in the medical field, because it seems very patronizing and very condescending sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think I approach the whole scenario as like a big haze. It's mm -hmm. like you are pledging basically for a sorority or a fraternity. And you just have to, each day, you just have to keep your head up and prove yourself. You have to read, you have to like stay on top of everything and just prove to yourself and to everyone that you deserve to be there. It's not necessarily fair Definitely there are other people who have it easier, but it's part of the process. Um, unfortunately, like it'd be great if it were easier for everyone, but, mm -hmm. but it, it makes you stronger as a professional. So if, if there's anything I could say, it's just to keep pushing and, and don't let things like that deter you or, or put, get you down. Definitely. And uh, I feel like we ha I have to define a little bit in terms of uh, knowing your identity because there are some people who've been told that they don't have what it takes from when they are little and they believe that. There are also some people who they've been always told that they have what it takes and then they get into these spaces, right? And after the first answer, they're like, they want to fight and they just want to give up and they feel like they like, where the balance should be, do you feel like? No, in terms of, yes, you need to know who you are, but it's more like you sh should know that you always have what it takes and you shouldn't let what people's opinion stop you from your overall vision, but you should take what's good from it and use it to be the best self you can be. Exactly. Yeah. You can't come in with like a big head thinking, oh, like I deserve all of these things. Um, but you can't, you also can't go into it thinking like, I'm never going to be able to achieve any of this. Like you have to find a balance between those things. And that really um, requires a lot of soul searching and knowing yourself and learning yourself. So definitely have to do that. Definitely. Last question here. Um, so one of the data that definitely been pain, <laughs> have given me pain uh, is the fact that when I read uh, there was uh, about 5%, I mean, less than 5% black men uh, in, in medical school, basically, uh, right? And uh, the, the percentage now is lower than what it was in 1975. So the right. young men in 1975 and so had so much motivation to go. I mean, they had, they had a purpose, right? It was right after the all the MLK work and stuff like that. So they felt like they needed, I mean, it was a big boost. But I don't want us to go back. Like, what do you feel like is, I mean, what can we do to help improve that? You talked about starting that program to help back your community. Like, what, what are some ideas that you have that could potentially help uh, increase that, that number? Well, I mean, again, it starts early on in life. It starts with planting the seed um, from childhood, from like middle school and high school letting people see what they can achieve by being involved in the community and showing them what they can accomplish. Um, 
I think that's the main thing. Like growing up, you have to be able to see um, that that you can achieve this, and, and you don't believe that it's even achievable if you don't see anyone in that field. And it's mm-hmm. also not even it's not welcoming um, to to go into that area when you don't see anyone in that area. So I think it all starts with with you, with what you're doing and um, with with young professionals giving back and and really um, showing that and also encouraging the young generation to go into STEM fields, go into like math and engineering and science and and really engaging in that sort of work. A lot of, um, I guess, I don't really know what the highest um, or the most common degree is, but um, the STEM fields are really, they're still lagging with minority students. So you really have to have them involved in um, areas of STEM early on in life so they can say, like science experiments and think they're cool and like love to do math and like things like that. So um, really have to start early. Yeah, definitely. In the in the class of uh, two two hundred and fifty, about two hundred and fifty chemical engineers, uh, there was only about four black people. That's two percent. <laughs> so it was, it's definitely lacking, yeah. but. Thank you so much uh, for taking your time to to talk to me, have this conversation. And this is an ongoing conversation, definitely. I I feel like I'm definitely passionate about this work. And uh, I am originally from Guinea. And uh, I came here at a very young age. And I feel like so many people uh, helped me, gave me exposure to, to just craft the journey I'm in. And my hope is that I can do the same thing uh, for, for so many people out there so I'm, I'm following your lead and uh, hopefully we got what it takes to make this happen well thank you for having me i really appreciate it and this is great work that you're doing so i really appreciate it thank you i'll definitely keep you updated uh, on all these things and uh and hope I, i'm i'm uh, you also have you as a resource from now on so i'll be reaching out for some mentorships surgery and all of that of course. I'm happy to help. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for taking your time and listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you feel like this episode has helped you in any way, share it with a friend, family, or loved one.